Hello, my friends. Thank you for listening to the Wesley Memorial Church podcast. This is Clark Chilton, one of our associate pastors here at the church. We're in a sermon series called Advent Preparing for Christmas. Advent is that time of year where we know it's not quite yet Christmas, and that's okay. A time of preparation, a time of waiting, a time of seeking God and drawing near to God as we take this journey together toward the manger on Christmas Eve. Christmas is a wonderful time of year. It's also a stressful time. It's a time uh, when we remember those in our past or we miss loved ones. It can be a, a time of difficulty as well, and we acknowledge that. We want you to know that we're praying for you. If you want to join us for a worship service any Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m., we would love to see you. To learn more, visit wesleymemorial.org. And now here's this week's message on Advent, preparing for Christmas. The baby is the most important part, and the baby would grow up. The baby, as was recorded in the book of Luke, that uh, after Jesus' birth and is presented at the temple, then we fast forward to when he's 12 years old. And you see uh, one of the only accounts of him being that age in the Bible. Uh, and that's what we're going to look at today, that the baby would indeed grow up. And these people in this story will soon discover that the author of life has made himself known. This is the first account of Jesus really teaching at this young age uh, and making it clear that this person, this child, is very different than everybody else that's around. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. So these weren't helicopter parents. They just let Jesus go. He was going to show up eventually. Um, But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, three days, I was lost at a baseball game in the Kinston Indians when I was like seven for like 30 minutes, and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. Now, pause there, when a boy was about the age of 12 at Jesus's, this time period in Jesus's uh, world, um, it was very quite normal for um, boys of that age to sit at the feet of rabbis and religious teachers and have this sort of question and answer dialogue. And Jesus was of the age and of the, in the upcoming year of his life, he would be growing more and more into that role as was custom for boys that age. So he's not doing anything out of the ordinary. It's the fact that he just disappears. And then you'll see, of course, how he carries himself in these conversations. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Jesus gives a very Jesus answer. But why did you need to search, he asked. He's sort of saying, hey, I'm never lost. I'm not lost right now. But didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? He doesn't blame them for losing him. But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. 
So these religious leaders and teachers are amazed at how Jesus carries himself, the things, the understanding he has. We don't know what he said, but I'm sure it was that he was interpreting scripture in a way that they never heard a 12-year-old boy do before. And because he is the word, he is the word in flesh. So he is the word teaching the word to the people already at age 12. The word made flesh, Emmanuel. This is really the author of life, the author of the word, if you will, making himself known to those around him. You know, I was looking into this. When an author or an artist places themselves in their own work, so artists will do this. They paint themselves into f- pictures, maybe. Um, authors do this. It's called self-insertion. If you've seen the Marvel comic book movies, Stan Lee always makes a cameo. You know, he's famously, he'll show up. He created much of the Marvel universe. That's self-insertion. That's the creator making himself known to his creation. So it's very much uh, happens in the world around us. Um, it's really nothing new to kind of break that wall down. And in some ways, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's, this is his first really foray into doing this to the world and saying, there's something different about this person. He is the author making himself known. He is the word teaching the word. G.K. Chesterton said, I had always felt like life first as a story. And if there is a story, there is a story teller. And surprised by joy, C.S. Lewis, it's his autobiography of his own journey to faith in Jesus, he poses an analogy that uses the well-known play Hamlet and, of course, its well-known author Shakespeare, where he said, if Shakespeare and Hamlet could ever meet, it must be Shakespeare's doing. Hamlet could initiate nothing. C.S. Lewis realized over time that Shakespeare and Hamlet could meet only if Shakespeare took the initiative and wrote himself into the story. Because Hamlet would be, was no way he could do it, because he is a creation of Shakespeare. Now, imagine if you're a character in a story, and, and one day someone comes up to you and says, Hi, I'm the author of your life. Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. Here I am in the flesh. You would say, Okay, uh, let's put a pin in that, and uh, let me make some phone calls and get away from you, because I don't think you're telling the truth. But that is who Jesus is. That's what Jesus is doing. He's the word made flesh. He's the the author making himself known. No, if someone came up to you and said that, you would need proof. You would eventually say, prove that, prove it. Because this is way too much to believe. If you did, if they did provide proof, then this individual would provide more guidance and insight and purpose to your life than anyone you had ever met you would follow this person and give up everything you had because they're the author of your life. You would be constantly peppering this person with questions. The author would be, in a sense, your everything, right? Because without them, you wouldn't even exist. So my response and your response would be similar to that, I would hope to think so. It would be a lot like the woman at the well in John chapter 4 where Jesus has a conversation with this woman and and basically tells her everything she's ever done. And he's so ama- she's so amazed at this conversation, she says to him, sir, you must be a prophet. And he says, basically, I'm more than a prophet. I'm the Messiah. I am who you've been looking for. And then she runs and tells everyone about this man who told her everything she had ever done, the author of her life. 
She had done many things to be ashamed of, but she was not ashamed to run and tell everyone, her closest of friends, about this person she had met. She had, she, but, and she was not paralyzed by her shame. She wasn't paralyzed by being ashamed of that. But in fact, meeting him, this man who knew everything she'd ever done, transformed her life and filled her with joy. It set her free. She couldn't wait to share things, this with other people. So when the angel Gabriel announces to Mary in the New Testament about uh, the birth of her son, that she is to name him Jesus, Gabriel knew a bigger, a bigger story of what was about to happen. She knew Jesus as the author of all creation, but also of Mary's life as well. And that's why Gabriel greets Mary maybe with such joy in Luke chapter 1, because Gabriel knows the fullness of what's unfolding right now. And it's so much joy that even Mary is sort of off-put by what Gabriel says and how he says it. Gabriel came to her and he said, Greetings, favorite one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Gabriel knew to rejoice because the author has made himself known and is making himself known, essentially writing himself into our story, the author of life, being born into the flesh, writing himself into our world, and nothing's ever been the same since. And this is really what people are looking for in their lives, aren't they? They're looking for God in flesh, the author of your life, who knows you better than anyone else could ever know you. And that's one of the great tragedies of human existence, is there are people that reject that offer from the author of life. That there is one who knows you better than you even know yourself. And you're cutting yourself off from that joy, from that intimacy of knowing the one who knows you so, so deeply. God longs to write himself into our stories. He can turn, maybe your story's a tragedy. Maybe your story right now has a downward arc and it seems to have no redemptive quality at the end. God, it it brings him such joy to turn a tragedy into a redemptive, almost comedy, if you will. If the author did not write himself into our story, into our world, we would have no understanding of God. If God with us, the Emmanuel, had not come, we wouldn't have a larger clarifying story or meta-narrative in which to place our own stories. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. See, this overall story of, of stasis and fall and redemption, it's ingrained in human beings. If you're religious or not, we all are attracted to that bigger story. We all hunger for redemption. We hunger for a savior. From Gilgamesh to Star Wars to The Matrix, you go on and on. It's a hero that comes essentially to bear the sins and to lead the people toward a better future, Right? We are, that story is built within us. We're created for that story. It's really called a three-act story arc. And um, this is a picture of it. This is what most plays are written to follow this. Um, It's the most common narrative structure. You see it across historical boundaries, across cultural boundaries. This three-act structure is what you maybe, if you took middle school language arts, you would have seen this. 
It's the form that screenwriters first learn when they're learning how to write. It's the dominant plot shape of our stories, and I would argue it's the dominant plot shape on the human heart, that we're hungry to have this redemptive act of our lives. And and in fact, the gospel story in the Bible is a three-act story. The biblical authors did not present the story of the Bible in three acts just so we can understand it better. Instead, we understand stories better because they reflect the storyline of the gospel, of redemption, that we're created for stories that echo this structure. Without Jesus, without the author making himself known into our world, into your life, wanting to write himself into your story, without Jesus, there's a whole lot of fall, but there's no resolution. Without Jesus, there's a lot of failure, but there's no forgiveness. Without Jesus, God in flesh with us, there's a lot of death, but there's no resurrection at the end. The author wrote your story. He wrote my story. And the author can provide more insight and guidance into your story like nobody else can. Nobody. And so maybe that's one reason why we celebrate Jesus as the light of the world. Because what does light do? It provides guidance to take that next step. To take the next step that that God knows you better than anyone else will ever know you. That Christ is full of light and glory. And with that guidance as our original author of life. You can't see anything as it really is. Unless you see the greater story. As it says in in the book of Psalms that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That when we bow down and admit our dependence on him, he will lift us up and give us honor. That there's an aspect to knowing this God in flesh, God with us, the author writing himself into our story, that helps us find answers for our own stories. That we're a people in need of resolution and redemption. And he has come to offer that to you and to me. So this is why we sing joy to the world. The Lord has come, right? That the author has made himself known to us. And that's the takeaway for today is that he has come to write himself into your story and to mine. And that the wonder of God being born in a helpless baby, that he would grow in wisdom and in stature, and then that Jesus would be the best storyteller that's ever lived and would sit and tell stories again and again because he knows that that's what we're hungering for as well deep down. So my friends, I'd be honored to pray for you right now and to pray that we live into more of his story for our lives as we go throughout this continued Christmas season. Let's pray. Lord, indeed, joy to the world, for you have come. You have come, O God, as the author of life, that you know us so intimately, and that we can know you and receive you by faith this day and every day to walk with you, O God. I pray for anyone here today that's feeling dismayed, that feels, though, God, that you don't understand where they are in their lives, that they don't know that next step to take. God, I pray that they were reminded and encouraged that you see the full scope of their lives, that, that, you're, that you're never caught off guard, you're not surprised, that you know, oh God, that we are but made of dust, that our flesh is weak. God, that you know the very hair on our head, that you know all the details of who we are, our frailties, and our joys. 
and that you have come, oh God, to rewrite our stories that turn us away from tragedy, that turn us away from fall and emptiness. And I've come to rewrite that story arc of every single human life that will trust you and that will put us toward on a path of victory, on a path of redemption and resurrection. That without the birth, your birth in that manger, there is no Easter. There is no hope for the future. But because you have done this on our behalf, you've defeated darkness across the cosmos. That you have come and, and your light has not just pushed back the darkness, that your, your light will never be conquered. And all the powers of evils and principalities that are opposed to your reign, O God, have been and are currently being defeated. Thank you, God, that we are a people of victory, that death is not the end of our story, and that just what we see in our present darkness is not the end, but that you are God with us here and now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Praise you, O God in heaven, for you are good.